When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithliday, I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack, its website. Uh, joining me this week is one of the great writers for ATQ, uh, Adam Holland. How you doing, Adam? Doing good, man. Uh, nice to see you finally some summer-like weather here in Oregon. Uh, I understand you uh, avoided the un-Oregon-like uh, weather uh, <laughs> by getting out of the state for a little bit. Yeah, I uh, just got back from a couple week trip to Florida and the Florida Keys and the Bahamas. Um, went with my wife to see her parents for the first time in a few years, so that was fun. But I still kept up to speed on what was going on on the website. And the uh, Saturday meetings went from uh, eight a.m. to eleven a.m. for a couple weeks, so that was nice. Yeah, I know all all my friends on the East Coast who are college football people. You know, whenever they take a trip out to the West Coast, uh, they're like. Oh my God, it's so much better watching football here. You wake up and football's on at 9 a.m. and and you get to bed at a reasonable hour. Like, you know, this is great. And I'm like, yeah, man. Like, uh, and then, <laughs> you know, you had, you, you know, we usually do breakfast meetings and you're doing like brunch meetings, you know, with Mai Tais and mimosas, I'm sure, uh, <laughs> for the site. Uh, so the article that uh, you wrote this week uh, was about the men's basketball team and the return of point guard Will Richardson. Uh, what do you think uh, that means for the squad going forward? Honestly, I'm, I'm pretty pleased. Um, as you saw in my article, I kind of did a little bit of it from like a human interest standpoint, just in the sense that when you look at, at Richardson and how long he's been with the program and what he's accomplished with the program, uh, Definitely would be nicer to see a, a more fitting end for him. Um, from strictly a team standpoint, I'm still pretty excited uh, just because of the fact that he, he he meshes so well with the team just having been on it so long. Um, he knows Altman's system so well. Uh, he's a great defensive guard. That's what I love about him. Uh, as you know, any sport we're talking about, I'm always a defense guy. Mm. Um, but I think... The one thing that I'm still kind of waiting on, and I've touched on this a few times during the regular season, was can Will become kind of that on-court general? Can he become kind of like that that leader, the go-to guy? Um, as much as he's done for the program, as much as he's been a, a great and valuable asset, still haven't quite seen that out of him. And um, I think that that may be one of the reasons why he withdrew from the NBA draft. I think... A lot of times when you're looking at guards that aren't necessarily super athletic, that aren't necessarily dead-eye shooters, you're kind of going to have to look a little more at kind of like what Pritchard did in the sense that he was just like their on-court general. He was their leader. He was that guy to go to. And now you see that success carrying over for him in the NBA. And so I think if, if Richardson can come back and he can display that kind of leadership, um, along with the, the skill set that he already has, he'll have a much better chance of not only getting drafted, but maybe getting some playing time on the court once he gets there. 
Well, leadership and experience are different what you're looking for in your point guard in basketball. You know, it's the the quarterback of the court. Um, you know, it, it's interesting because, the, you know, a lot of positions in basketball, especially, you know, as college basketball has undergone the sort of one and done revolution, um, you know, for most of the positions in basketball, it's sort of like raw talent, you know, is what, you know, commands the top dollar um that's not even entirely a metaphor um you know like you know centers and forwards you can't teach tall you know shooting guards well maybe you can teach a good shooting motion but i don't know it's that sort of seems to be something that god gives you or he doesn't um but point guards, yeah, I, I would sort of prefer to see, especially in the college game, like give me a point guard who's been around the system for several years and he sort of commands the respect of the team and uh, and will also, you know, put the team on his back. You know, Oregon's had a number of point guards, you know, in the Dana Altman era that's like, oh, man, you really need a bucket right now, you know, to, to get to overtime or something like, OK, give it to the general, um, you know, and uh uh, I'm with you. I would like to see Will Richardson be the next, you know, guy like that for Dana Altman. Um, and I think the way that last season ended, um, you know, if that's how Will Richardson's story to Oregon ended, I, I'd be pretty sad about it. Right. Like, you know, that, that seemed like that wasn't really representative of his play. Uh, and it would really suck if that was the last we ever saw of him as a duck. Right. Yeah, definitely. And um, so, you know, this this gives him potential to have the right kind of closure, you know, to go out on senior night with maybe, you know, a win and everything uh, to, to really get that chance to shine in the conference tournament, to get to the NCAA tournament, uh, go out the way he should. And um, I think that I, I, I I'm not sure if it's, it's, it's a byproduct of it, but um, Dior Johnson, the uh, four or five or five star point guard, depending on who you ask, uh, that had previously committed to Oregon and, and been pretty secure in his commitment, ended up uh, uncommitting and heading elsewhere. So mm-hmm. I think that's also, in a sense, for Richardson, probably like a good thing because it puts a little more pressure on him to really man up that point guard spot. You know what I mean? Um, because we had Devian Harmon uh, leave. And then now Dior Johnson decommitted, so that really puts Will in kind of like the primary spot to just be that 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 guy at the point guard position. Um, as far as far as uh, Dior Johnson goes, you know you could disappointed from a skill stand set. I, I definitely watched a lot of tape of him. He's very very athletic, very skilled. His um, athleticism, in a way, reminds me a lot of Damian Lillard. Um, can't say that his uh, loyalty. <laughs> this team reminds me of Damian Lillard because uh, the kid kind of had a track record of really just jumping all over the place. Yeah, um, I think he he by his senior year he'd already been to like six different high schools or yeah. I know it, it was funny the other day I was I was recounting that to a fr- you know that story to a friend and they're like what what high school do you go to and I was like you know that's a story. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that that's usually a simple question. <laughs> it was not in this case. No. And so, yeah, that that it doesn't shock me just given his track record like that. But like I said, that that adds yet another opportunity for Will Richardson to really kind of become the guy at that point guard position. Because as I noted in my article, uh, with the returnees we have and with um, some of the transfers that Dana's bringing in, uh, plus we have a, you know, 
consensus unanimous five-star center coming in uh, who's all kinds of skilled, uh, the team could be locked and loaded. Um, it's just that point guard position that needs to be secured. And I think Will has to prove in his last chance here that he's the guy for that. What do you think the odds are that the starting five in the first game uh, is Will Richardson and four new guys? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I see it being that way. Um, and like I said, if you just look at his accomplishments, his longevity and his, his skill set, because like I said, he's not insanely athletic. He's not like an incredible dead eye shooter, but the guy has the ability to get to the hoop. And um, I think that's kind of like an underrated quality in point guards. When you see a lot of point guards, you think, oh yeah, you know, dribble the handles, the, you know, step back threes, the jumpers, all that kind of stuff. You got a guy that you can give him the ball as a guard, and you can't stop him from getting to the basket. And we saw that at times this season when teams could just not stop him from getting to the hoop when Oregon needed to take or maintain a lead. Um, I think he just needs to play upon that and kind of like just be like, all right, if we're in the time when we need points, you just give me the ball. I'm getting to the hoop, and they're not stopping me because, you know, at 6'5 and well over 200 pounds, He's not a small point guard by any stretch of the imagination, and he has that ability to kind of bully himself inside. And so I'd like to really see him take advantage of that right from the get-go next season. Yeah, I it's my opinion. I know there are some basketball theorists who disagree with this, but my I, I count myself in the camp that says if you, in modern basketball at any level, if you are not a threat to score in the paint, that you are not a valuable basketball player. Like, you know, that, you know, if you're a perimeter shooter only or a defensive player only, or, you know, a jump shot guy only that like, forget, you don't have a spot on my team. Uh, you know, you, you need to either, you know, be a post up player or you have to be a serious, incredible threat to drive to the basket, you know, and, and, uh, you know, attract the defense's, you know, attention. And, and even if that means, you know, shoveling it out, you know, on, on three quarters of your dribble drives that like, you know, you, st- you, you need to be a serious threat to put it in, um, you know, so that they don't just, you know, sell out, uh, you know, to stop the rest of it, you know, uh, and, you know, frankly, that element is, you know, I, I think definitely can be a big part of Will Richardson's games in his best games. Uh, it definitely is. Um, and I think, you know, in large part, I think his fall off at the end of last season, uh, you know, has to do with with that factor. You know, I thought it was entirely appropriate that the photo you selected, uh, you know, for the lead art um, on your article included the the dressing on his uh, his left eye. Um how much do you attribute, you know, that, that eye injury to his fall off? You know, do you think that's a, you know, a fan theory that's overblown or, or what, do, what do you think about that, Adam? No, I think that could definitely add, add to it. Um, yeah. The reason why I picked that particular night and that particular photo as kind of like, you know, the opening for the article was because uh, I was there for that game and yeah. I was, you know, just probably like 10 rows up from the court. So, you know, pretty close to see everything that happened. And um, I always love going to senior night games. They've always been a, a good, fun one to go to. And like I said, just kind of like the uh, the, the energy surrounding it, and not just because of the fact that they lost, but the way that they lost after such mm-hmm. an exciting game and everything where you're really thinking, hey, this team might be ready to make that push to the tourney. 
and to have it end like that and and to kind of see Richardson just kind of like humbled like that yeah it was was frustrating and i think you know if you if you if you're going to hit your head in any sport it's it's, it's never a good sign um, but if you're like i said somebody like a, like a floor general that's got to you know rely on that court vision and you have a large bandage right over your eyebrow that's kind of like yeah, partially right, obscuring your vision that's going to play into it for sure. Um, I think what we found out later ended up being more of the telltale thing in that um, Altman revealed later on that he had mono for mm. um, actually a couple weeks and was continuing to try and play through that until they just kind of pulled him and were, was just kind of saying he's too sick. And um, I think that makes a lot more sense when you look at his drop-off toward the end of the season. Um, like I said, any, anytime you bonk your head, it's never going to be a good thing. But the fact that we didn't know that he was suffering from something that serious, um, where you thought, oh, maybe he just picked up a cold or something, or maybe he had a variant of COVID had to be held out a little bit. Uh, but yeah, being that sick and, and trying to play through it shows that he's a trooper, but it also definitely explains why all of a sudden his stats kind of like dipped into the, into the cellar towards the end there. Well, we're all playing, praying for his good health, uh, uh, of all elements. Um, and I, you know, I agree with you. I'm really looking forward to seeing the kid, uh, next year, um, in full health and hopefully in command of the team. All right, let's take a break. Uh, we come back, we'll talk some football recruiting. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So uh, we are recording on Tuesday night. The Ducks are coming off of a pretty insane football recruiting weekend where, uh, you know, they they had a uh, an amazing um, lineup of uh, four and five star players on campus for the last uh, weekend of, uh, uh, you know, in June before the, the dead period for the next month or so begins. Um, Adam, you're going to be writing an article that goes up a little later in the week about uh you know, this recruiting weekend. Can you give us the highlights? Yeah. Um, so one thing that definitely excites me about this recruiting weekend, um, aside from the fact that it was probably the biggest uh, group of blue chippers we've ever had and all together at one period of time um, for a recruiting weekend of that sort, uh, was the fact that it was so defensively based. Mm-hmm. Um, as I continue to blabber on and on about every time I'm on the podcast or in my articles, I'm just a a defensive minded guy. I love defense in all sports. And um, that was one thing I was really excited about when the Ducks hired uh, Dan Lanning was just hopefully, you know, becoming that kind of defense that just like, they're so fun to watch because you're just thinking, all right, now let's watch how this opponent tries to score or tries to move the ball on us and how well we, shut that down. And so I expected landing to kind of bring that kind of energy in to the spring, uh, spring ball, which he did. And now it looks like he's brought that into the uh, recruiting game as well. Um, I can tell you that of like the official visitors that were listed, uh, more than half, it looks like 
were uh, defensive line. And, yeah, that's um, that's what really stood. You know, I, I think that was deliberate. You know, uh, and it really stood out to me too. Like that, that it's not just defense; it's defensive line. You know, that this recruiting staff. You know, they they want to win in the trenches. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, we, we we had that hope for a little while uh, with Cristobal. We might have been headed in that direction. Guess we'll never know. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I liked while he was there for his tenure, the kind of switch that Oregon made uh, to being a little bit more of a, of a grinded out win it in the trenches kind of team uh, that that seemed to be kind of their Achilles heel all through the, you know, Chip Kelly. And, and uh, after that, it, you know, it seemed to kind of still plague them a little bit until Mario kind of instituted a little more of that ground and pound stuff. Yeah, uh, now his was obviously more focused on the offensive end. Uh, what I really like is that Landing is instituting that more on the defensive end. And um, of all the recruits that visited uh, this weekend, and one that I've brought up several times in my articles is uh, the defensive lineman Mateo Ugalele. Mm-hmm. Um, I think definitely continue to keep an eye on this kid. Now, it's it's definitely not going to be easy to secure him. He's you know getting his offers from like LSU and Alabama, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, I do think that uh, a lot of times Oregon has had a really good influence on kind of like the Polynesian recruits that we've got, uh, just because we do tend to get a lot of Polynesian athletes just based on our location from over in the islands. And uh, they are very family oriented. And they always seem to say that when they visit Oregon, they really like the family feel of it. Um, Obviously, Yes, we're commercial, you know, we're Smoosh University, we have billions of dollars behind Nike and Phil Knight and everything. Uh, but sometimes because Oregon is a smaller school in a smaller town like that, it can give you more of that familial feel than a larger place like Alabama or Ohio State could. Uh, what I really love so much about this kid is that he just, he brings that enforcer along the defensive line that we haven't seen too many times at Oregon. Um, Now I'm not going to go quite this far yet and say that he's going to be the next one, but early on, he does remind me slightly of Halote Nada. Mm. Um, And I think that if you you can get this kid, you know, bulked up a little bit, he's already like about six, five, six, six right now. He's coming in about 265 pounds, but still just a high schooler, you know, you're going to give him some more stakes and, ribeye and whatnot, you'll, you'll get him heavier. And uh, just seeing the speed and the space that he takes up and the power that he has along that defensive line, I really get excited about having that kind of like headline blue chipper and then having that guy that just anchors that defensive line. Like if a running back's coming up the middle, well, guess who's there? Uh, really excited about him in particular, but definitely excited about all the recruits. Well, and it's definitely the premium position on the West Coast, which, you know, re- regardless of, you know, all the the uh, the changes and potential, you know, rearrangements of college football, like Oregon's not going to pick up and move outside of Oregon. Um, you know, it's always going to be a West Coast school and West Coast schools are always going to have a hard time finding, you know, big bodies uh, for the defensive line. You know, these, you know, it's, they're just rarer on this part of the world. And, uh, and, 
And, and it also means it's sort of that's where the strategic premium is placed. Like, you know, yeah, I've been previewing all these Pac-12 teams. Guess what? They all have great wide receivers. You know, every single one of them. Um, it, uh, in fact, I, you know, I don't think I've written about a single Pac-12 team until I was like, you know, the, the wide receivers here kind of stink. Oh, no, that's not true. Utah, the wide receivers kind of stink. Um, but that's it. That's the only exception. Uh, you know, everybody else is like, yeah, the strength of this team is the wide receivers. And in fact, uh, for a lot of teams, I'm scratching my head about like, why are you doing anything other than just throwing the ball? Like, why are you trying to implement a tight end heavy offense when you don't have good tight ends? Or why are you trying to implement, you know, a power run heavy offense when you don't have good offensive linemen? But you do have these wide receivers why aren't you just throwing to him but you know on the other hand like okay great wide receivers grow on trees in the west coast and so do great skill players on the defense you know to cover them like you know like you're not uh, obtaining a strategic advantage there where you would obtain a, a comparative advantage is like yeah my defensive lineman can run over your lousy offensive lineman and now you can't get anything going now your you know quarterback is under stress every single play and your running back can't you know uh you know get anything for you maintain a lead you know hold on to the ball or whatever like you know yeah you know it, it seems like very obvious if you are a west coast football team that if you can like lie and i can all the other thing you know i just finished interviewing uh alicia diartola castillo uh, who covers usc for reina troy like you know and she made it an excellent point on our podcast together which was that like that's how pete carroll was winning games you know that was where his comparative advantage was that usc was a national brand and they could pull in defensive linemen from all around the country and you know just use them to run all over you know the pac-10 and then go to you know win postseason games uh you know and that that was the unique thing that usc had going for them well you know uh, uh spoiler alert they they don't really have that going for them right now and uh, and oregon does and and of all the people in the universe who should understand the importance of four and five star defensive linemen you would think dan lanning would <laughs> you know he's coming off of a national championship at georgia in which like other sec coaches are like bitching about how they go got to go up against landing's defensive line because they're so talented right uh yeah no i dig it i think it's the right strategic move and i'm glad to see you know like you said it's like you know half of these guys are defensive linemen like yeah exactly that's exactly what the right move is yep definitely good to see um we did have a um a, a five-star running back come in mm-hmm. uh, now this is a, a, a maybe a little bit of a long shot um richard young uh, he hails from Lehigh Acres in Florida. So obviously, you know, the ones that are recruiting him and then at least, you know, according to most experts, have the best chance of landing him are other SEC teams. Uh, he's just, you know, down there in SEC country, um, kind of close to home, whatnot. However, just the fact that we're starting to get interest um, from, you know, five-star running backs down in SEC country to make the trip all the way out to Eugene uh, to spend a recruiting weekend there. I think that's 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 very telling. Uh, you just weren't seeing that before. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously we've had some amazing running backs in the day. Um, you know, you had Legarrette Blount, you had Michael James, um, you had Jonathan Stewart. You know, you could backtrack even further, go all the way back to like Ontario Smith and Maurice Morris, and obviously Ruben Drones. But see, the thing is. <clears throat> you weren't really pulling these guys from, like, down south. Um, obviously, down south is just a little bit of a different breed down there. Uh, you get 
some of these blue chippers out there that are just absolute monsters and absolute beasts. And they're just a dime a dozen. And so, obviously, a huge disadvantage for Oregon, you know, other than just name brand uh, for a while because they were still kind of a relatively new player on the on the on the national scene uh, was just their location. You know, it's just like, well, why, why would I want to go, you know, twenty five hundred miles from home to this little town up in the Pacific Northwest? It has like nothing familiar to me or anything. Um, and so, to see somebody like that come in. And, uh, you know, at least be like, hey, you know, Oregon's interesting enough to me that I'm going to go check it out. I know it's not close to home. I know it's a you know, totally different weather climate and totally different culture, like, you know, even a di- like different time zone like we were talking about. But just to say, like, hey, it's worth checking out. I think, you know, that would be. And so that's uh, that's very encouraging to me, um, especially uh, due in light to the uh, the departure of our, our, our two main running backs this year. Um Obviously, he would be a huge, huge get. Like I said, I don't know realistically how likely it is. Uh, but, yeah, being able to bring in those monster running backs that you always see plowing through defenses down in Alabama and Florida and LSU. Um, you get guys like that up in Oregon. I mean, you've, you saw what we can do with kind of like the smaller, shiftier backs. Uh, yep. You get in beasts like that, it could be a game changer. Well, and if you checked out social media, which like – it's not my favorite thing in the world to do, but like, boy, it sure seemed like the recruits were having a lot of fun, you know, over the weekend, you know, like, you know, you mentioned the family atmosphere for Uyunglele, like his dad was treat- tweeting like crazy, like how much fun he was having, uh, you know, and, and, you know, they were pairing up, you know, Richard Young with the unofficial visit from the five-star quarterback, Dante Moore, you know, they had those, those two like joined to the hip, you know, and, uh, you know, so there's some you know, there's a little social management, you know, there. And, and to your point about Richard Young, you know, competing with SEC programs, as far as I can tell, like the primary competition Oregon has for Young is Alabama. And like, look, man, are you going to win every single fight against Alabama? Of course not. Um, But those are the right fights to be having, you know, like you ain't winning a natty unless you're going, you know, unless you have players that you have to go up against the Alabamas of the world in order to get, like, I think that, you know, what we have learned over the last decade or so is that like, if you, if you on the West coast are uh, assembling your team entirely from, you know, Southern California skill players and King County all-stars, like, forget it, man, when you go play the big boys, you know, they're just going to, run all over you um and, and if you shy away from those competitions with you know national recruits from another time zone because you don't think that you can you know uh, beat mom and dad uh you know homesickness and the girlfriend like forget it you you've quit the field before you know the the game even started um you know you you you're not going to win a natty if you don't have the recruits that you have to go up against Alabama to guest. And you're not going to get recruits if you don't at least, you know, just get into those fights uh, for them. You know, it's, it is the proper thing to do. Oregon had an amazing, you know, collection of talent in Eugene this weekend. Are they going to get all of them? Probably not. Are they going to get, you know, most of them, you know, probably not, but you're not going to get a single one of them if you don't have them on campus. And they got these guys on campus. Like it's the right, 
you know, it's the right first step. And, and we'll, we're probably have to wait till next month to see, you know, who pops. Those guys want to, you know, they, they, they want to, you know, lay out the table with the hats and they want to get the local news in and they want to have edits made, you know, for social media and so forth. Uh, it's apparently quite entertaining for them. I, I don't I don't know if it would be entertaining for me, but, uh, you know, I guess I was never a high level football recruit. What do I know? <laughs> True. And it, yeah, it has come to that in this day and age. But you know, I can say the last time I watched a uh, five-star recruit sit down and put on the Oregon hat um, was Mr. Kayvon Thibodeau. And he ended up doing, let's say, uh, pretty decently during his tenure at Oregon. So yeah, you know, it's you never say never. And uh, the more five-star re- recruits you have on campus, the more odds you have Atlanta one. All right, let's take a break. Uh, we come back. We'll uh, keep talking about Pac-12 football. So my Pac-12 uh, football series continues. Uh, we're getting close to the end, and we usually save some of the best teams for last. Uh, this week, I, I published an article about the USC Trojans. Uh, they have gone through some stuff uh, in the last uh, 365 <laughs> days, and uh, I went over pretty much all of it in my article uh, and, and the podcast that we recorded with Alicia that I mentioned. Um uh, I don't suppose, Adam, that you're trying to curry some favor by reading my article, did you? <laughs> um, let's just let's just say um, that I like to stay up to speed uh, with everything on the site. Uh-huh. And uh, the nice thing about this article was that I, I really agreed on a lot of your takes with it. Oh, um, that's an g- excellent thing to say to your editor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, no, no kissing up here. I, I honest to God, I'm you know, super opinionated and, and definitely blunt. And if I, you know, agree with something, I agree with it. If I don't, I don't. But um, I really liked some of the things uh, that you were pointing out about the fact that even though they're bringing in Lincoln Riley, even though, you know, they have some guys uh, following suit, that this team, as far as you're looking at it for the coming season, just it doesn't seem to have enough pieces in place yet to really be considered a viable threat to win the conference yet. Um, I know there's a, there's a lot of upside, but and until, until you, I mean, you know, people thought there was a lot of upside with the last several coaches they got too. Mm-hmm. And look how that turned out. Um, is USC fixable? Yeah, of course it's easily fixable. It's a national brand name. It's over in Southern California or, you know, very, very nice place to draw people into, you know, they have, Plenty of national championships hanging up, you know, plenty of Hall of Fame players to boast about. Um, really what it'll come down to is, is coaching on the field. Um, you know, you can bring in these recruits, you can hype up the name all you want, uh, but if the results don't happen on the field, man, then, uh, yeah, you're, you're not long for that job. So is Lincoln Riley really going to be the savior of USC? I mean, we'll, we'll see. He, he did a great job in the short amount of time that he was with Oklahoma, uh, like I said, Oklahoma is another one of those national name brand schools that never really falls that far off the map. You know what I mean? If they yeah. win eight or nine games, it's a bad season for them. So. Yeah, right. Well, the, it is a couple of commentators in response to my article have uh, have made the point that like 
you know, Lincoln Riley to USC and Lincoln Riley taking over Oklahoma are sort of different situations. Um, and in fact, some uh, a very waggish person pointed out that like, you know, uh, Lincoln Riley taking over Oklahoma from Bob Stoops was like Chip Kelly taking over Oregon from Mike Bellotti. Um and Lincoln Riley taking over USC from Clay Helton is like Chip Kelly taking over UCLA from Jim Mora. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah. that, you know, just because you know how to um, sustain or even build upon, uh, you know, or make more exciting the offense of an exciting team, you know, with a lot of talent that sort of, you know, if you come into well-stocked cupboards, you know, and, and a culture that makes sense and you've already been a part of, uh, just because you have that skill doesn't necessarily mean, you know, how to build a program that's, you know, you know, extinguish the fires that you walked into. Um, and I mean, honestly, the USC program is in that, that Link Riley is taking over, um, in Los Angeles is in more, in some ways, more of a dumpster fire than the UCLA program that UCLA, that Chip Kelly walked into in Los Angeles when he took over UCLA from Jim Moore. Although in other senses, uh, I think that USC is in better shape than that UC, UCLA team was. Um, so, you know, I, I don't, even though it's sort of a squishy point and I'm not really a squishy, you know, type, my, my writing tends to be very technical. You know, I, I tend to, you know, focus, you know, very much on like the, the objective facts of the situation. And I tend to dismiss a lot of the sort of like psychological stuff that a lot of commentators, I just feel like it's too lazy, you know, to fill up column inches with that stuff. So I just don't do it at all. But like, there is a psychological factor. There is a culture factor. There is, a, you know, a systems factor. And the thing that's remarkable about, you know, I feel like in a lot of, you know, when, when, when Lincoln Riley went to USC, he brought with him his defensive coordinator, um, a couple of other coaches, um, a, uh, the quarterback, uh, one of the leading receivers and a DB. And it was just like every, every day you got another piece of news about another, you know, Oklahoma guy who was following him to USC. And it's sort of, I feel like locked into a lot of fans, you know, around the country and around the PAC 12 sort of in even maybe in USC fans minds, who knows what's going on there. Uh, uh, I probably shouldn't speculate. Um, you know, I think it locked into a lot of people's minds, this notion that it's like, Oh, this is the, you know, the USC Sooners, you know, the Oklahoma Trojans that it's just, he, he brought the, the Oklahoma operation lock, stock and barrel all over to USC and kicked all the, 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 you know, everybody else out there. And it's like, that's really not true. You know, he really only wound up bringing three players over and, uh, and besides himself, four coaches. Um, and you know, he assembled the rest of the coaching staff, you know, from very disparate, you know, group, like it, it wasn't, you know, one of these situations where like, oh, we all coached together at K state in the nineties or something like that. No, you know, none of these guys know each other, the coaches, I mean, and, you know, whereas, you know, they got all these dudes out of the portal, they're all from different schools. You know, I, there's only, I think one school that has multiple transfers. You know, I think it's Colorado. Um, the, the, you know, otherwise it's like, the you know everybody's from their own place from their own system it's not the lincoln riley system because there's only one person on the planet who's running lincoln riley's offense and that's lincoln riley and there's really only one guy who runs alex grinch's defense and that's alex grinch that's kind of hyperbole there's a couple others but many of these dudes are not coming from that sort of system so it's like 
they're going to be heavily reliant on transfers, not entirely. Maybe like I think forty percent of the team, um, but like they really are coming from all over, and and it really is the case in football that you have to like you have to get everybody on the same page culturally. You know, they have to get like get along. There is such a thing as locker room chemistry. There is such a thing as understanding you know schemes, and it's you, you know you don't just like sort of automatically go from school A to school B, and that doesn't matter. Like it, it does matter and it will be very interesting you know to see if he can he he can sort of weld all those guys together into a coherent team if he can i do think they have the 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 talent on paper you know to to make a playoff run like it really is that talented and that you know well proven that that is the the good the upside to getting portal guys like you know you're not buying a pig in a poke right like those guys have demonstrated they can catch footballs and block and tackle and so forth um uh and if you can put it all together, you know, yeah, they definitely do have the talent, you know, to go all the way. On the other hand, like we've never seen this in college football before. like college football is in a very cyclical game, right? Like everything that you've seen in college football has happened before, except for this at this level anyway, where you're like assembling a team all, you know, in large part out of the portal or to this extent out of the portal. Like we don't know if it's going to work. Um, and and it's not like Lincoln Riley has any experience at doing it. Like even if someone someone could make it work, we have no idea if Lincoln Riley is the guy to do it. Um, uh, you know, it it should actually be you know just as an objective observer, as an objective as you can be, you know, rooting for a team for for whom USC is like a significant conference foe. Uh, as an objective observer, it's going to be a fascinating experiment. You know, like it's going to be an interesting team to watch to see if you can pull it off. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it really is kind of like just one of those situations where, like you said, on paper, sure, look like they should be able to compete with anybody. Um, but just building that cohesion and uh, building, you know, that, that trust and that familiarity with each other, I think especially this day and age, uh, is very overlooked when it comes to college football. Um, you know, college football has, has become uh, just, you know, such so so different now that they've instituted you know players being able to get paid and then on top of that this transfer portal thing just exploding over the last few years that um yeah you're really kind of seeing a lot of teams like that where it's just like hmm okay skill set wise and position wise should be able to compete with anybody right but like you noted you know this is this is not just like he's bringing everybody over from Oklahoma this is all different, you know, people from different areas, and yeah, they got to learn to to put it together. Um, I think uh, that <clears throat> USC's primary problem right now is that uh, they have like the offensive weapons to put up points. I mean, that's that's kind of like you know USC's well, trade. You never really saw a Trojan team that had trouble getting the ball into the end zone. Uh, but really, defensively, they're, they're they're just so depleted that as as much as they can put points on the board, I agreed with your assessment that just the the depth is 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 not there. I think to be able to hold their own enough defensively the, against teams the defensive depth, the yeah, conference. definitely, yeah. yeah, I mean, definitely, it's like they're making a lot of bets on transfers at the linebacker position. 
Um, they're making some bets on, you know, freshmen probably at cornerback. They are making some bets on a bunch of three stars um, in the defensive line. This is like, you know, what sort of knocked my socks off when I finished compiling the roster was that like defensive line, excluding the, the, the what are called the rush players, but really are, they're just outside linebackers. If we're talking just like the true defensive linemen, the, the, the two ends and the nose. They don't have a single four star in that unit. Like USC has a unit that is not made up of four stars. Uh, like that, that is, you know, doesn't have a single one. And they got, they went and got four guys out of the portal. It's a couple of low three stars and a couple of two stars. You know, like they're, you know, and, and Alicia both and I both think, you know, those guys are, are backfilling depth. You know, those guys aren't, you know, they didn't bring those guys, unlike some of these other positions like wide receiver and linebacker and the running back um, and quarterback, you know, where they're bringing in transfers. Where it's like, well, we need you to be the new starter because this was a dumpster fire um, where everybody left. Uh, you know, at defensive line, they're bringing in guys to be like the you know, the, the, the second and third string guys, you know, they're, they're going to play their three stars at defensive line. And like, those guys are not world beaters, you know? Um, and, and, you know, it's sort of same question at linebacker, like, are these guys going to work out? Like, I don't know, you know, uh, cross your fingers, like, um, you know, like the two of the transfers at inside linebacker that they brought in, um, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, Lee, uh, from Alabama and, uh, Gentry from Arizona state, like those guys are probably both better than the one returning, um, uh, starting inside backer, uh, that they had go forth, you know, like that guy's got to fight for his job again, you know, versus transfers. Like, what does that do to team culture? You know, I, I genuinely don't know. I, I don't mean that as like a rhetorical question that's meant to like set, you know, th- I'm not, I'm not trying to like throw bombs or anything here. I'm, I'm like, I'm seriously, I don't like, I've never seen that situation before where it's like, sorry, returning starter. You know, we have transfers who are better than you sit down. Like, I don't you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and again, sort of like culturally, like this team, Lincoln Riley cannot fall back on you need to be a USC guy because what the hell does he know about being a USC? He can't fall back on USC culture because there is no USC culture right now. And he can't really fall back on we're going to be, you know, this is the Oklahoma culture that you all need to adopt because like it's him and four buddies, you know, that are the Oklahoma, you know, like he he is creating something totally from scratch um, that, you know, I don't, I, I honestly, I have no idea how it's going to work out. You know, I, I, I'm not like this team could be anywhere from six and six to 12 and oh, like, I really don't know. And and it it comes down to sort of a little more, yes, esoteric, you know, questions like that. But like, yeah, man, like that's what happens when you have to rely on this many transfers just to get, you know, depth going. Yeah, exactly. And, um, I agreed with your take on one particular transfer who we've all become pretty familiar with over the last few years, Mr. Travis Dye. Um, And obviously I'm not, you know, you or I are not saying this just out of spite as in like, we hope he fails. It's more. uh, I'm certainly not. I I hope you're not. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's more about the fact that just, if you look at Travis Dye, The guy's definitely a workhorse, you know, he gives he gives his all in every run, and he's very shifty and follows his blocks very well. Um, I do think, though, a lot of his success at UO uh, stemmed from the fact 
that it was such a run-oriented offense under Mario Cristobal with such amazing offensive linemen that, 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 that Cristobal was recruiting. Um, it's, it's definitely, like you mentioned, going to be interesting to see how Travis does in an offense that, especially with Caleb Willens transferring, is going to be very air raid-centric. Um, it's not going to be a lot of ground and pound. And the offensive line is definitely not the quality that Oregon has had over the last several years. Well, I, I certainly agree with you about the offensive line and about, you know, Die has benefited from running behind, you know, was, you know, I, I will contend. I, it was the best offensive line on the West Coast. You know, I don't think, you know, even if people want to disagree with me about best, I don't think people would disagree with me about like one of the best um, and and is, you know, going to you know, probably one of the worst offensive lines in terms of run blocking, you know, on the West coast. And that's probably going to drag his numbers down. Um, I, I, you know, through no fault of his own, you know, the, the there's a reason why in advanced stacks, we call them like adjusted line yards where it's, you know, like the first four or five yards or so of a running backs run really has nothing to do with the running back and everything to do with the blocking. Um, now, you know, I, I agree with you about Travis Dye is like, you know, once he's through the hole, the offensive line creates that guy's good for, you know, creating another six, seven yards, but like, um, you know, I had to watch a ton of Kennedy Brooks uh, last year, you know, Oklahoma's running back. And that guy is a magic maker. That guy is one of these guys who takes like what should be a four yard run and turns into a 50 yard run. Cause it's like, you can't, he makes like these magical cuts. You can't tackle him, you know? And, and like, look, man, they just don't have one of those guys. Um, I mean, maybe Relique Brown, the true freshman, we're not going to see him to the fall. And he probably red shirts. Um, the uh, like, you know, and so that's going to be something that I think like, you know, Lincoln, I'm not saying that like Kennedy Brooks saved Lincoln Riley's, you know, offense, you know, that he made him look better than he really was. But like, it was definitely the case that Riley, like, <laughs> you know, he had a running back who, who would do that would do stuff that Lincoln Riley had nothing to do with. You know what I mean? Like that, that was, you know, Kennedy Brooks made that 50 yard run because Kennedy Brooks is Kennedy Brooks. Um, and I don't think he's, he's got a guy like that at USC. And I don't think he's got the offensive line that Travis Dye was running behind at Oregon. And so, yeah, I do think that the running game, you know, compared to what Dye is used to and compared to what Riley is used to is probably going to suffer. I disagree with you that you're going to see, you know, you're not going to see as much, you know, running because they have Caleb Williams. I, I really disagree with that take. Oklahoma was definitely wanted to run the ball. Like that's sort of the thing about Lincoln Riley. And really everybody who comes off of Mike Leach's tree is that everybody who comes off of Mike Leach's tree doesn't want to run Mike Leach's offense. They want to borrow his, like some of his passing concepts, but then they marry it to something else. And in this particular case, it's a power RPO game, which is just absolutely fascinating to watch. Um, uh, but like now that, that is a, they want to run the ball. They want to do complex running of the ball. They, it, they want to do RPOs off of it. Um, and even their pass protections have like, you know, pulling tight ends and pulling guards, you know, in it, like fake runs. Um, no, they want to run the ball a lot, or at least Riley yeah. does. And, and and that's really my question. You know, you, you said like, oh, you know, the offense isn't going to be a problem. The offense might be a problem, uh, Adam. Like, uh, you know, because, you know, that's probably the biggest, other than the Kennedy Brooks thing, the, the biggest, you know, change that Lincoln Riley is going to have going from, 
um, from Norman to Los Angeles is in Norman, he had a bunch of really good offensive linemen. You know, they really were recruiting like blue chips there and they had a really good offensive line coach, you know, Bill Biedenbow uh, and, uh, and, you know, he's going to, to USC where, I mean, their offensive line situation is not great. Um, and, you know, he wasn't able to get the Oklahoma offensive line coach to come with him. He got the uh, Texas A&M's offensive line coach is a really young guy. And look, Jimbo Fisher doesn't run this offense. Jimbo Fisher runs an offense that is pretty much as far from this offense as you can get. Um, I don't know if, you know, uh, I don't know. It might have been better for them to try to retain Clay McGuire. Instead, he wound up going to Wazoo. Um, the, uh, but like, you know, this offensive line is going to have four offensive line coaches in five years, you know, all of whom want to run a different kind of blocking system. Um, I don't think this is, you know, this offensive line coach really, you know, is going to be at least at first on the same page, you know, with Lincoln Riley watching the spring game, the offensive line blocking was bad. Like they, you know, they didn't know how to execute this offense and it's a complex offense. It's another sort of big misconception about Lincoln Riley or anybody who comes off of the Mike Leach tree is like, Oh, this is O-line optional. You know, Oh, the court, the, the ball's out of the quarterback's hand so fast. Doesn't matter if they can block or not. No, not true. This is like an exceptionally difficult uh, offense for the offensive line to, to execute. And like, they're not going to have it. Um, and it'll, that's another thing that's going to be really interesting about USC to, 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 to see how this goes is like, okay, Lincoln Riley, you know, let's see how you do this without Bob Stoops players and Bob Stoops culture and Bob Stoops offensive line. Um, yeah. do you, you got that one in you, buddy? Yeah. Uh, you definitely make a good point. Um, a fair point on that. I think, um, my skepticism, uh, about the, the running game is whether, uh, Lincoln Riley really trusts in it, given what he has to work with now. I, I think that that's kind of where that comes from, because like I, you mentioned, in Norman, he had such an amazing offensive line, and then Kennedy Brooks at, at, at running back. Um, is he is he still going to trust the running back in the line like he did in Oklahoma at USC when he has nothing like that, do you think? That is, that is an interesting question. I really don't have a good answer for you. Um, it, I, I will be interested to find that out. I mean that genuinely um, because, you know, this is one of the things that Alicia and I actually talked about quite a bit is that like, you know, again, having written this series about Pac-12 teams, so many offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators that I wind up profiling, it's like they know how to do one thing. And if they don't have the right um, personnel to do that thing, they're just going to do it anyway. And it's going to suck. Um and it's actually fairly rare in this league, probably because they don't pay their coordinators enough money to get the good ones. Um, but it's actually fairly rare in this league to find an offensive coordinator who's like, well, I'd like to do A, but we don't have the right roster for A. So instead we'll do B, which is not really my preference, but it fits this roster better. So, you know, it's, you know, all us being equals, it's the best option that we have. Um surprisingly rare um uh, uh alicia uh, would like to believe um that lincoln riley is more of that type of coach that's sort of adaptive um coach and so when we went through multiple positions like i don't think he's going to have the same you know everything that i just said about the offensive line where he's not going to have as good as, as he had it in norman like he's not going to have as good as tight ends as he had in norman either you know but there's a solution to that you know you can't pull your offensive line off the field but you can pull the tight end off the field and if he has sucky tight ends he has the option of just you know, okay, we'll go four wide. We won't put the tight end on the field, even though I would like to, you know, and if it's my offense pretty well, we, you know, we also have a bunch of four wide configurations. So we're just going to do that instead. He has that option. 
Now, is he going to um, um, elect that option? I because he's a flexible coach who can recognize that situation and adapt uh, to it to, to, to pursue the optimal uh, strategy given the constraints that faces him. I don't know. Because he was coaching at Oklahoma for his entire career where Bob Stoops set up his roster and his culture really well. And he never had to make those choices um, or confront the question of like, what happens if I don't have the, the ideal guy? Um, I don't know. I genuinely uh, will see if he does, he will have earned his next job. Um, yeah. If he doesn't, he, he won't be successful with this roster because it has too many holes in it. Yeah, exactly. I agree. And I, like I said, that's, that was pretty much the reason for my skepticism. I just was like, how much is he going to rely on Caleb Williams, who he knows mm. and he knows what he can do and has trust in him. And how much is he going to rely on his system? So that'll be kind of an interesting thing to see come fall. The last thing that I want to say, since, you know, as I said on this podcast a couple of times now, uh, when we're talking about other football teams, we're we're really just talking about Oregon. Um, The observation that I make about the way that USC's roster is is composed, you know, with all of these transfers uh, in. And really, you know, when I look at other teams, you know, they're all pretty dependent on transfers, too. And look, Oregon's taken some transfers as well. Or obviously, you know, Bo Nix and Christian Gonzalez are, are, you know, guys at quarterback and cornerback that they are absolutely, you know, almost certainly going to, you know, be relying on uh, to either be starters or like necessary depth, um, you know, in order to function. And if they didn't have those guys, I'd be really worried. Um, You know, I'm, I'm not trying to say that Oregon is a zero transfer program. Obviously, that's not true. Um, but this last year and actually the year before I studied Ohio state's roster. Um, those guys don't take a lot of transfers. And this summer I'm studying Georgia's roster because Oregon's got to open the season playing Georgia and they took Georgia's defensive coordinator. Um, Georgia's got like two transfers on the team. Um, like the, the really good teams, you know, the blue bloods, they don't do it this way. They, they don't, they don't build their team through the portal. They organically recruit and develop. They establish their culture. They develop it and nurture it over time. Um, people understand what it means to be a bulldog and what it means to be a Buckeye. And, you know, they are recruited as freshmen. They have the time and the space to redshirt and to learn from, you know, uh, more senior players who really know what they're doing and who really are elite talent too and like you know there that is the ideal that is what you want to get to um there's no like oh this other you know alternate path is is just as viable and it's a it's a you know equally valid alternate way of comprising a football team nope it's i'm sorry it's not it it is suboptimal the optimal way is to you know grow these things organically and you occasionally take a transfer for you know, their own unique reasons, not, oh, well, it was dumpster fire. So I put it out. Now everything's fine, right? Everybody enjoys a, a recently extinguished dumpster. Um, <laughs> like, um, you know, that, that's sort of, you know, I'm, I, like I said, Oregon's taken some transfers and I'm not really throwing shade at transfers. I'm not trying to tell anybody who hit the transfer portal that, you know, you suck and that's why you transferred. Like, that's obviously not true. Um, but like, I would much rather be a team that like recruits organically and develops a good culture. And like, you know what, when landing hit the team, you didn't see articles being published about Oregon taking advantage of a little known NCAA rule to kick a bunch of troublemakers off the team. Did you, you know, 
you didn't read articles about Dan Lanning needing to clean up the toxic culture of entitlement in Oregon, did you? <laughs> Definitely not. And um, if you look at Oregon's last great team, uh, the 2019 team, that uh, was built exactly the way you said, you know, organically from, you know, recruits that they brought in, developed and who grew up together. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, frankly, I'm happier being an Oregon fan than I would be as a USC fan, uh, you know, at this point in time, maybe I won't be saying that in five years, but, uh, <laughs> at least for now, uh, it's been a hell of a ride and, you know, uh, it, as sort of disruptive as it is to have, to, to bring in an entirely new coaching staff, like he, he landing inherited a pretty talented team. Um, and continues to, you know, build on top of that talent and his, you know, solution to, you know, there are inevitably some departures, you know, now the transfer portal exists whenever you have a coaching changeover, like guys leave, it it happens. Uh, and so he's had to sort of do some filling in with, with transfer guys, you know, uh, hopefully the guy sticks around for a couple of years and the number of transfers that they need to take, you know, should be going down each year. And, you know, that's sort of the, this is the last thought that I want to offer about USC and, and, and as it relates to Oregon is that uh, at multiple points during the podcast um, interview that we did with Alicia, um, you know, I was sort of asking about like, OK, they've they've taken these transfers. The transfers are all upperclassmen or are guys who are just going to go to the NFL after this year, like Jordan Addison, the guy from Pitt, who even though that guy I think still has after this year will have, I think, three to play two remaining. Um, like it, that dude's going to the NFL right away. He's a Blitnikoff, you know, winner, right? Like, so anyway, he, they've taken all these transfers, but like to, to solve a roster management problem that exists right now, but you know what you're doing when you take a bunch of upperclassmen or early NFL departure uh, transfers in, you're setting yourself up for the exact same problem next year and the year after that, right? And you're taking a small recruiting class which let me tell you, USC's recruiting class was very small. Um, you know, in multiple positions, they took either one or zero dudes. Um, it's not, that's not a viable way to run a football program in the long term to take one or zero dudes at, at each position. Um, like, you know, you, you need to organically be recruiting your dudes. And in the real danger is getting on what I call the transfer treadmill, where it's like you take a bunch of transfers and then they leave. And the way that you have to fill it in because you didn't recruit freshmen is you have to take more transfers, which are going to leave and are going to force you to take a small class. So when they leave, now you have to recruit more trans. Like you can be on that transfer transfer treadmill like indefinitely. Um, and we've seen like the real horror show versions of that, like Kansas, for example, where Charlie Weiss, you know, wound up taking a bunch of JUCOs and, and then like the team has never recovered because like, that's what happens. The guy, that kid has only got two years of eligibility left. And so like, you know, you wind up in this, like in this cycle that is very hard to escape from because you have to be able to organically recruit your way out of it. Um, and who wants to, who's going to sign up as a freshman knowing that they're going to bring in a bunch of portal guys, you know, who are older and more experienced than you and are going to get all the playing time. You know, that's not, that's not a real easy sell to make to five-star kids who believe that they have the ability to play as true freshmen. Right. Um, so this is another thing, you know, and, and the comparison to what Oregon is doing and, and the article that you were writing this week about Oregon's recruiting, you know, in the 2023 cycle, you know, you know, l- let me come full circle to that one. You know, like 
yes, please, please recruit organically. Please do not think that the solution to your problem is just another wave of transfers. And looks like Dan Lanning's got that message loud and clear. I dig it. Yeah, definitely. All right. I think we're going to wrap it up there. Uh, it's been good talking to you, Adam. Uh, uh, we will look forward to your article about football recruiting. Uh, maybe you'll even have a couple of recruits to write about who actually, you know, uh, make the commitment. Um, but otherwise, uh, uh, anything else that you've, you've got your eye on before we go? Um, like I said, uh, since it's summer, we're kind of in the dead period. Uh, I'll just keep my eyes on uh, football recruiting and potential, you know, basketball news as well. Um, as soon as we, you know, head into the fall, I think, you know, those are the ones that are going to kind of be grabbing everybody's attention right off the bat. So uh, for the rest of the summer, I'll try and try and stay on top of those the best I can. Uh, looking forward to it. All right. Uh, it was good talking to you, Adam. Uh, that'll do it for this week. Uh, thanks, everybody. Catch you on the flip side. <laughs>